So uh, turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. We're going to read in a little bit, verses 1 to uh, 10. Ruth 4, verses 1 to 10. We're going to start reading that in a little bit. Uh, I just want to go over a couple of information first, give you a big background of what's going on, and then we're going to start reading from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. And um, we're going to continue talking about shadows of Golgotha. We're talking about pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. I think today is uh, sermon number 33, and we're going to today talk about Christ, our kinsman, Redeemer. Amen? As you can tell, we have a lot of notes to go through. So, uh, I didn't preach for three weeks a while ago, so I'm trying to make it up somehow. Amen? Alright, so let me just give you a very big uh, background of what's going on. So this way, when we uh, read Ruth 4, 1 to 10, we have a better idea of the Old Testament background of what's going on. Um, the title again today is uh, Christ Our Kinsman Redeemer, right? The word redeem, the word redeem means simply that the essence of the word is this. You pay price for somebody in trouble so you can bail them out of the trouble. You know what I mean? Like somebody going to jail, their bail is 500 bucks. I go in, pay the 500. That's the very essence of the word redeemed. I redeemed that person by paying a price so they can be released from bondage or from trouble that they're in. Amen? There is three Hebrew words in the Old Testament that can be translated English into the word redeem. I'm just going to go over them real quick. The very word is, the very first one is ga'al, and the second word is pada, and the third word is kapar. What is the difference between these words? The first one, ga'al, Again, the theme throughout these three words is pretty much the same. You pay a price, so you redeem somebody who's in trouble. The only difference between these words is that ga'al, mainly, there has to be a relationship, uh, like a family member or somebody like that, between the one who paid the money and the one who's in trouble. Okay? So that is the, the very first word. It is unique to having some sort of family connection. Pada. In, in Hebrew, the emphasis here is there is a price paid. And then kapar, literally the word means cover. So even though it has been translated redeemed multiple times, it it's really means to atone, to cover for the sin. That's why in, in the Old Testament, the day of atonement is called Yom, Yom Kapor, the day of covering. That's the day when God covers the sin of the people. But again, three words, each one of them has been translated as redeemed in English and have that idea of redemption. Why I'm saying all of this? Here is the point I wanted to get to. God, in the Old Testament, has been the subject of all three verbs. Okay? So we see that God is the, the relative who goes to redeem. We see God as the one who pays the price so he can redeem. And we see God as the one who covered the sin, thus he redeemed. You guys follow me? That's why I want to mention that to you. Uh, so we see God being the subject of all three verbs here. And that's what I wanted you to know so far. So the word kinsman redeemer that is the very first one that we just read, Ga'al. Again, somebody's paying the price to get somebody else out of trouble 
but the connection here, the idea here is there is some sort of a family connection between the one who's paying the price and the one who's in trouble. That is the, the key point here. There is a family or relationship connection. Amen? So, we read about that kinsman redeemer, the one who redeemed, but his next in kin or next, uh, next of kin to the somebody who's in trouble multiple times in the Old Testament. We don't, not, Ruth is not just the first time that we read about the kinsman redeemer. Actually, as a matter of fact, the first time we read about that term was in Genesis 48, 16. Jacob here is talking and he's saying about God and he's saying, the angel who has redeemed me from all my trouble. So that is the angel who has delivered me from all my trouble. And, and, and that is a reference to God that Jacob used. And he used the word Gaal, my kinsman redeemer, who has delivered me from all my trouble. Amen. And then we read about it also in Exodus 6.6. 6. Now God is speaking and God is saying, I am coming down to redeem the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. And the word that God used here is Ga'al. I'm going to come down and I'm going to be the kinsman redeemer for the children of Israel. Amen. So we see that this concept of having a, a next in kin or next of kin who can uh, pay a price to get you out of trouble is as old as the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Amen. And when we read through the history of Israel and the laws uh, in the Old Testament, we see that concept pretty prominent. For example, we see that the kinsman redeemer can redeem the property. If somebody loses their property, then the next, next of kin who's rich can actually go and pay off the money to redeem that property. We read that in, in Leviticus 27. Or he can redeem the person who's actually becoming a slave. Uh, we read about that in Leviticus 25. If you become poor and you're going to sell yourself as a servant to a Hebrew person, then the one who's next of kin to you who has money can actually pay off your debt so you don't have to serve as a slave. And that was referenced to in Leviticus 25. I know you didn't plan on it, but this is a pop quiz. What's Leviticus 25? Yeah. We talked about it for two or three weeks. It is the year of Jubilee. That's the year of Jubilee chapter. So, uh, yes, so God is saying if, if you're going to sell yourself as a slave till the year of Jubilee, your next of kin can be your kinsman redeemer. He can pay off your debt so you don't have to serve at all. We read also about the kinsman redeemer who can, if somebody is murdered, then the kinsman redeemer can go after the killer and kill them. And we read about that in Numbers 35. That only happens. You know, if, if the killing was unintentionally, read the whole story in Numbers 35. Again, what is Numbers 35? We talked about that. It is the cities of refuge. Exactly. So that's the one that we read about in Numbers 35, the, the cities of refuge that the Bible called the avenger of the blood is the exact same person, kinsman redeemer. So you can see the concept. It, it is not just you pay the money. It's more like, I think about it this way uh, in modern terms. It's the power of attorney. This is the guy who takes care of your business. You know what I mean? He happened to be a relative to you. He takes care of your business. But not just take care of your business. He's also willing to sacrifice and even pay out of his own pocket so he can get you out of trouble. Amen? We, we also see even in Numbers 5 that if, if there is a restitution is to be done, somebody done somebody wrong, and now they have restored what they have done wrong, 
and the person that need to receive the restitution has died, then their kinsman redeemer can't receive that restitution for them. You know, so it has also some perks to it. Okay, so again, we see here that the kinsman redeemer is is a concept of your next of kin who takes care of you, who loves you, who's out there just to vindicate your case, get you out of trouble if you ever get in one. Amen. But the most prominent story in the Bible when we read and know and study about the kinsman redeemer is actually in Ruth. The story of Ruth is a prominent example of a kinsman redeemer and what a kinsman redeemer does. So the book of Ruth is one of the small chapters in the Bible, uh, four chapters only, but it's a wonderful story. I'll give you the background just in case you're not very familiar with it. And that will set us up to read Ruth 4, 1 to 10. Amen? So the Bible tells us that there was a family in, in Israel, a man called Amilalak and his wife called Naomi, which is not here today, um, and his wife was Naomi. And there was a famine in the land of Israel, so they all left and they had two sons, one is called uh, Shilion and the other one Mahlon, and they both left because there was a famine in the land of, 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 of uh, Israel, and they went to a country called Moab, and they stayed there for 10 years. After 10 years, they heard that God has visited Israel back and the famine is gone. But during that time, the man died, Emilalak died, and his two boys died as well. The two men has two wives, but none of them has kids. One of the two wives called Ruth, and that's the one that we're talking about today that has a book in the Bible, and the other one called Orpha. And when the husband, the head of the household, and the two sons died, Naomi, the, 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 the mother, decided that she's going to go back since the famine has gone. And then the two daughters-in-law, both Ruth and Orpha, told her, we're going to go with you. We're never going to leave you. We're going to stuck with you. We're never going to leave you. And now listen to what Naomi said, because that is, in a way, important to what we're going to be talking about today. She said, you know what? I'm too old. I can't have babies, so you can have them as your husbands. Because that was kind of, it's actually a, a Bible law. We're going to read about that in a, in a little bit. That if somebody dies and they don't have children, then the brother of the dead, the deceased, can marry his wife so he can raise a child for him to carry his name and get his inheritance so that nobody will take anybody's inheritance in the land of Egypt, in the land of Israel. So, so Naomi told them, I, I don't have kids, I'm too old, even if you want to wait, even if I have a kid today, are you going to wait 20 or 15 or 18 years for that kid to grow and marry one of you guys so they can have kids? So Orpha thought about it, it's like, yeah, you have a point, she went back. But Ruth stuck with uh, Naomi, amen? And she said, I'm going with you, your people are my people and your God is my God, and she went back with her to the land of Israel. And all the people that of the town of Naomi, when she went back, was surprised that Naomi has come, uh, kind of shocked that she's back. And they all heard about Ruth and her commitment that she's going to go back and be part of the nation of Israel, and that she decided to worship the God of Israel. Amen? So this is kind of like two widows, poor, 
and they have no way to support themselves. So one of the things that they used to do back then is that if there is a widow, she can actually go to the fields and she can glean the wheat that uh, the gleaners has, has not gleaned. Actually God commanded in the Bible that if you glean the field, make sure you leave some in the back for, for the poor so they can come back and take it for their own uh, food. Amen? So Ruth started going to glean in a field who happened to belong to a guy called Boaz, and she started gleaning in his field. Boaz was a relative of Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth. You guys follow me? Okay. He was a relative to Naomi. And then eventually, long story short, I'm going to get to the point here. Uh, Ruth talked with uh, Boaz about possibly being the kinsman redeemer because technically that's his duty. So Boaz replied back to Ruth and he said, it is true that I am your relative and I could be your kinsman redeemer, but the fact of the matter is there is somebody who's closer to you, a closer relative to you than me, and he should have the first right to choose if he wants to be your kinsman redeemer or not. If he refuses, I will do the kinsman redeemer responsibility, but if he accepts, then actually he has the priorities and he has the rights. Amen? You guys follow the story so far? So that is the setup right here for Ruth 4, 1 to 10. Let's read that passage together. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz has spoken, has spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men, Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has came back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of... The piece of the land which belongs to our brother Elimelech, and I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back, redeem it. Okay, he's the kinsman redeemer. Buy it back, redeem it. Um, in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, please or then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So the kinsman redeemer said, the closer relative said, what? I will redeem it. Bad, huh? That's not going well. Well, you cannot help it when you read the story to know that Boaz kind of liked truth. So anyways, so uh, that was kind of a blow. But anyway, so here is Boaz coming back and he said, then, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to propitiate the name of the dead through his inheritance. This phrase right here is key. I want you to keep that in mind as we're going to try to explain that text. Okay? So he said, the day you, you buy, redeem that field, Elimelech's field, you also need to marry Ruth so you can propitiate a name for the one who died through his inheritance. Verse 6. Then the close relatives say, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. This is another phrase that I want you to keep in mind. So the reason that the close relative said he can't do it is because he did not want to ruin his own inheritance. And then he told Boaz, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Verse 7. 
Now, uh, this was the custom of the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Verse 8, Therefore the close relatives said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, the closer relative took off his sandals, and Boaz said to the elder and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech and all that was Shilan and Mehlan, that's two sons, from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mehlon, I have acquired to be my wife. To propitiate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Amen. All right. So, story is simple here, okay? I just want you to notice how the, the events played out. When, when, when Boaz talked to the closer redeemer, he said, you know, you're the next in kin, you're the kinsman redeemer. You have to redeem the land, the field that belongs to Elimelech. The closer relative did not mind that at all. He said, oh, I will redeem that field. I will buy it for myself, kind of to redeem it, you know. But then when Boaz brought up Ruth and he said, you know that the day you redeem the field, also marry Ruth so that you will have an heir who will inherit Elimelech's field to propitiate his name. And when the kinsman redeemer heard about that, it's not that he didn't know. He just thought he can get away with the first part. You know, he thought he can just redeem the field and doesn't have to deal with Ruth. But when, um, when Boaz brought it up, now the, the closer relative had a change in mind. And he said, oh, I can't do that. I can't redeem it. You redeem it. And Boaz said, oh, well, I redeem it. I will buy the field and I will also uh, marry Ruth, the Moabites. And he did. And that was the legal deal uh, that day. Now, why there was a change of mind? This is, I start, like, I was spending a lot of time reading about this. It's, it's interesting, but that he had a change of mind. So why did the closer relative change his mind? He either can have the money or doesn't have the money. Why, when you throw Ruth into the mix, now he can't do it? There's a couple of ways to look at it, okay? You guys ready? With me? Did I lose you already? Yeah. Not yet? Okay. So there's a couple of ways to look at it. The first way is, if we read the Tarjum, what is the Tarjum? That's the... Uh, that is the paraphrasing of the Old Testament Hebrew, okay? It's kind of like, you guys heard of the message? The Bible translation, the message? No? So the message is pretty much not a word-for-word -word translation from the Greek or from the Hebrew. It's purely paraphrasing. The guy is reading the Greek and Hebrew, and he's writing it kind of as if two people talking in the table. Absolutely paraphrased, not word-for-word. -word. He's just going after the meaning, but not after the literal translations, okay? So, so that... We call it Turgum. Turgum. I said uh, Tarjum. Yeah. So that is the Tarjum. It's pretty much... This is the... Aramaic paraphrase of the Hebrew Old Testament. Bunch of Jews got together when the Aramaic language started becoming very popular, which Jesus spoke, by the way. They said, you know what, let's just try to get the point, the meaning of the Old Testament into the, the Aramaic. And they sat down and came up with that translation. And this is how this translation read that part from the closer relative. He said, I can't redeem it because I have a wife already. 
and it is not fit for me to bring another into my house, lest brawling and contention arise in it, and lest I hurt my own inheritance. Do thou redeem it, for thou hast no wife which hinders you from redeeming it. So that is the paraphrasing of what the Jewish people thought that the position of the closer relative was. That it's because he's already married, fight's gonna happen, so he didn't want to deal with that. So it's like, you know what, you're single, Boaz, go ahead and, and, and redeem it. I'm not sure if that's the most accurate. Here's why. Because if we're kind of trying to look back, you know, I mean, when, when the Book of Ruth was written, it seems like the writer kind of like talking to the people who will understand exactly what's going on. Custom-wise and legal-wise, they know they will have no trouble understanding why the kinsman redeemer, the closer one, refused and then accept, accepted and then refused. But for us, we don't know the customs. We're just looking back and we're trying to get clues from the text to try to understand it. You guys follow me? So it's more like we're trying to guess more than having a solid understanding of why precisely he refused, right? If we look back at the text, we see this. We see that he had no problem to redeem the, uh, the, the field in the first place. And then he only started having concern about redeeming that field only when Boaz brought up Ruth, okay? In the Old Testament, I told you that there is a law called the Kinsman Redeemer that deals with kind of like your power of attorney, right? But there's also another law not related to the Kinsman Redeemer that we read about in Deuteronomy 25, 5-10. So what's happening here is this. We see that if one dies, then his brother supposed to take her, the, the widow, the wife of the deceased, take her as his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. Verse 6 of Deuteronomy 25 says, And it shall be that the firstborn son which, perf um, which she bears will succeed the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be plotted out of the land of Israel. And now, if the brother refuses to marry the wife of the deceased, the, his brother's widow, then we read in verses, I think, 9 and 10, it says this, his brother's wife, if the brother refuses, his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elder, remove his sandals from his foot, spit in his face, his face, and say, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who has his sandals removed. Okay? Now, you guys follow me? These are two different laws. They're not the same thing. The kinsman redeemer is one set of laws. And when, a, when somebody dies, his brother marry his widow. That is a different kind of law, right? They don't overlap. They don't have to go hand in hand. It can be coincidental, but it is not like this is the same exact thing, okay? You guys follow me? And I want you also to notice that the law of this marriage, that if a brother dies, his if somebody dies, his brother can marry his widow, it's not even applicable to our story in Ruth, right? Because we know that the two sons that Elimelech had, they both died. So Ruth's husband who died has no brothers, right? So legally, listen to me, legally, the, the kinsman redeemer, the closer relative, doesn't have to marry Ruth, neither do Boaz. Right? Because this scripture, this law in Deuteronomy 25 doesn't even apply there. You guys follow me? And we can even see that from the 
context as well. Like if you go back to Deuteronomy 25, you see that if the brother refuses, then the, the widow goes to the elder and kind of shame him, right? That's the point. She said, you know, you don't want to maintain the name in Israel. Therefore, they take off his sandals and they spit on his face. And that's pretty shameful thing in the, in the Jewish culture. You spit on his face and his name shall be known as the, the house of the one who has his sandals removed. So there's a lot of shame associated with that. I'm not sure what's happening. Alright. So there's a lot of shame associated with that. In our story here in Ruth, we do see the concept of the sandals being removed, but we don't see the shame. Nobody shamed that closer relative when he did not want to marry Ruth. You guys follow me so far? Yes. So it seems like this. It seems like legally from the Old Testament law perspective, the closer relative is the kinsman redeemer and he's bound by the Old Testament law to actually redeem the field, right? But he's not really bound by the Old Testament law to, to marry Ruth, right? So when, when Boaz told him, you want to redeem the... Uh, let me grab that one. When Boaz told him... Not sure what it's Okay. When Boaz told him, do you want to redeem, um, do you want to buy the field? He said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll redeem the field. I'll buy the field because I'm obligated to do it. And he thought he can do the part that he's only obligated to do, but he doesn't have to do the part that he doesn't have to do, which is marrying Ruth. Okay? But Boaz brought up that other law as well. And he said, you know what? If you're going to redeem, if you're going to uh, redeem that field, you also might as well marry Ruth because there is a custom in that time, not a law. It seems like the law of, of Deuteronomy 25 is not really applicable, but there is a custom of that time that when somebody dies, the closer relative is to marry the widow to raise the name. And the, the key here is what Boaz said, I think it's in verse 7, actually verse 5. And he said, to propitiate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So the kinsman redeemer, well they're all messed up. The kinsman redeemer is to marry the widow and the first son will actually have the inheritance of the dead. So the inheritance will always remain in the hand of the one even the one who died, his son, or the one who kind of his son, will inherit his land. Amen? So it seems like from the context that Boaz told that closer relative, Mary Ruth, the first son, will inherit that field that you're actually going to redeem. Right? Now the kinsman redeemer, the closer one, thought about it and he said, well, if I do that, my own kids are not going to inherit. My own family is not going to inherit in that field that I'm about to redeem. So I'm going to spend the money on the field. I'm going to spend the money to support truth. And then the boy that I have from her will alone be the heir of that field and nobody else in my family will heir that uh, will be part of that field, will have part of that field. And he thought at this point, either financially not rewarding for him to actually do it, or he doesn't have the means to do it. He said, I can't do it, but not sure if he can do it or he just won't do it. You guys follow me so far? So when Boaz brought up Ruth, kind of, that the, the closer relative has one of three options now. Number one is to do both things, to legally redeem the field and customly, uh, according to the custom, marry Ruth. And he thought this is not going to work out for him. He's going to spend a lot of money and the boy that he will have from Ruth is going to be the sole 
heir of that field, his children are going to have part of it. If he has other children, he didn't think that this is uh, financially rewarding for him. Amen? The second option is to only redeem the field and not marry Ruth, which he could have done, but in a culture that is dominated by shame and honor, it was very hard for him to do that, right? Even though legally he can do it, it was hard for him in the culture and the city to actually do that. Okay, so that was the second option. The third option is to pass the whole thing to Boaz, which he did. And finally, Boaz now is the guy who can redeem the field and marry Ruth. Did I lose you guys? You guys follow me so far? Good, good, good. Well, it's... Uh, uh, we have to dig in the text. We have to know what the Bible says and why the Bible says that. Sometimes it's just hard to explain, but we have to go through it anyways. As I told you earlier, if God thinks it's good enough to put it in the Bible, then it's good enough for, it's good enough for us to talk about it. Amen? Alright. Now, let's talk about that, the type. Yes? The term, is it a side? It's not part of the thing, but... It's a translation. It's a totally different translation. Correct. I'm sorry about the static, guys, but uh, hopefully it's not going to be long from now. So how is that kinsman redeemer a type of Christ? Again, the whole concept is a, a, a relative, a male relative, who will be like, take care of you. You know, he will pay his own money if needed so he can get you out of trouble, who can deliver you. And we see that clearly in the story of Boaz who spent his own money so he can buy the field and marry Ruth and he became her kinsman redeemer and that is a picture of Jesus in so many ways so let's look at the type here how is that story of Ruth a picture of the cross and Jesus dying for us on the cross number one the kinsman redeemer must be next of kin to the one who's going to be redeemed right he has to be a relative to, to, the, to the person they're trying to redeem. Otherwise, he's not a kinsman. Therefore, he's not a kinsman redeemer, right? Actually, we read that in Ruth 2.1. Now, Naomi, the mother-in-law, talking to Ruth, and she's saying, there was a relative, of, no, actually the Bible say, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. He was a relative of Naomi, who's a mother-in-law of Ruth. Therefore, he's a relative of... Ruth, you guys follow me so far? And how about Jesus, our kinsman redeemer? Is he also next of kin to us? You better believe it. 88 times in the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. Why does he refer to him as the son of man? Because he's trying to say, I am related to you. I became man. I became a human and I was like you in every single possible way. I am 100% human just as you are 100% human. Amen? And he became our relative in that manner. Amen? 88 times he says that he is the son of man. In Hebrews 2.11, we read this fascinating scripture. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. For both he who sanctifies, that is Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one. We talked about that verse before when we talked about how we are sanctified by the blood, if you remember. And we said that the word one here, I believe that the author of Hebrews is not telling us that Jesus and us of one Father or one God, he's saying that 
him and us of one nature, the human nature. We, we are fully human. Just like Jesus, the one who sanctifies is fully human. You and I are also fully human. We are of one nature. That's why he said after that, for this reason, for which reason? Because we have the exact same nature. For this reason, he's not ashamed to call them what? Brethren, Jesus became our next of kin to be our kinsman redeemer. Amen? Amen? Isn't that awesome that the Son of God, the one who is full of glory, and the angel in his presence just covered their eyes because they cannot look at him. He's so glorious that much. He decided that he will become man just like you and me so he can be next of kin to you and me so he can go to the cross and be our kinsman redeemer. Amen? So next time you pray, know that you pray to somebody who is exactly like you was at one point. Amen? So Boaz was next of kin to Ruth. So is Jesus. He's our brother in a way. He does, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Amen? But number two, Boaz was the only one who is able to redeem. Right? The, 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 the closer relative said, I can't do it. Right? He couldn't do it. Whether he was not willing to do it or he didn't have the means to do it. Whatever reason is, the bottom line is the closer relative was unable to redeem. Amen? But there is one in our story who is able to redeem the field and also to redeem Ruth. Amen? And his name is... Boaz in our story. And for you and me, the same exact thing. There is only one who is able to redeem us. Amen? And his name is not Boaz. His name is Jesus. As we just read in that verse in, in Ruth 2, 1, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth. So Boaz would, would, has the means to do it. He's a rich man. You know, he has a lot of money. That's why he can afford to redeem Ruth and the field. Amen? And I tell you the same thing. Jesus is the only one who has the means to redeem you and me. Amen? You know, if you go to good works and ask good works, Hey, good works, can you redeem the falling human race from their sins? Guess what good works going to say? It's going to say the exact same thing that the closer relative said. Said, I cannot redeem it. Go to good intentions and say, hey, good intentions, can you redeem the people from their fallen sin? The good intentions are going to say the exact same thing that the closer relative has said. And the, close, the good intentions are going to say, I cannot redeem it. There's absolutely nobody, there's absolutely nothing that can redeem us from our sins before a holy and a righteous God. There's only, only one who's able to redeem and his name is... Jesus. He came down, he died on the cross, he shed his blood, and he became our kinsman redeemer. And if it wasn't for him, there is absolutely no hope for none of us. Amen? Amen. He's the only one who can redeem. We read in 1 Corinthians 1.30 this scripture. It is because of him, because, because of Jesus, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He became our redemption. He's the only one who can redeem. But not only that, in the story, we see that Boaz bought the field, right? He didn't just marry Ruth, he bought the field. And isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus? He, he himself, Jesus himself said that in Matthew 13, 44. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In that story that Jesus quoted, he's saying the kingdom of God is like this beautiful jewel that somebody found and he went and he hid it in a field and then he went and sold everything that he has and he bought not the jewel, he bought what? The whole field. But the, he bought the whole field for the jewel. You guys see that? And in the same way, that's precisely what Jesus has done. John said that Jesus is not just a propitiation. His death on the cross is not just a propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood is sufficient to redeem every single dying soul in our world. Amen? But Jesus paid the price for the whole world because he had his church, his jewel in mind. Amen? Because he was pursuing that jewel and he did not mind just like this man, this merchant in the book of Matthew to sell everything he has, even the last very drop of his blood on the cross so he can buy the whole field because he just wanted that jewel so bad. Amen? That's our kinsman redeemer. But also Boaz paid that price. I mean, redeeming that field is not just like, oh, okay, I'll do it, and then they just sign a piece of paper and the, the field is redeemed, right? You have to pay money. There has to be a financial transaction. Boaz must pay the price to redeem that field and to marry Ruth. And he did. And he gladly did. And he was the only one who can do it. Amen? And aren't you glad today that Jesus also paid the price on the cross for you and me to be redeemed? Amen? Amen? The good thing is, the only difference is between Boaz and between Jesus is that Boaz probably paid some silver or some gold to redeem that field. Amen? But when Jesus died, he did not pay silver and he did not pay gold. We were not redeemed by silver or gold from our conduct that we have received from our forefathers. But we have redeemed with what? With a precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus that is known even before the foundations of the world. Amen? Jesus paid the price. It wasn't gold or silver. It was his own blood that he shed on the cross so he can redeem you and me. Amen? We have a great kinsman redeemer. Amen? Boaz paid the price and Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross to redeem us. Boaz perpetuated the name of the dead, right? Because that field that he ultimately bought ended up being the, the inheritance of the son to, for the name of the one who died, right? This, this field was not belonging to Boaz or his sons anymore. On legal paper, you go to the county in that time, and the owner of that field will be Emelik, Elimelech and his son. It is not going to be Boaz because that inheritance will go to the one who died. Amen? And if it wasn't for Boaz, the one who died would have totally ceased from existence. Death would have taken over and done with that person once and for all. Amen? And isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He died on the cross. He paid the ultimate price. And because of what he has done on the cross, you and me who are once dead, now can live once and for all because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Death will not be ever 
never be able to take over you and me once and for all because Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, has propitiated our name who are once were dead. Amen? He maintained our name and he gave us victory so that death will never, ever, ever be able to take over us once and for all. Amen? Amen. But number six, Boaz also married Ruth the Gentile. I love what he said. Actually, let's turn back. Let's take back. If we read verse um, 10. If you go back and read verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mehlon, I have did what? Acquired as my wife. Right? I have acquired as my wife. You know what does it mean to acquire something or somebody? You go after them, right? You pay the price. That day, if you have to pay dowry, you pay the dowry. You do whatever it takes to go after the one that you want to marry. You acquire a wife. Amen? And that is what Boaz did. He acquired Ruth. Amen? You would think it should be the other way around, right? I mean, Ruth is a Gentile. Nobody cares about her. She's not really the, the greatest of anything. Boaz is a rich man. He's, if you remember what we said last week, his grandfather was the leader of the tribe of Judah. So he's a rich, wealthy, established man. He can marry anyone he wants, right? But he decided to go to acquire a foreign Wife, amen? Isn't that what Jesus did for us, amen? Jesus is holy, he's pure, he doesn't need us, he doesn't want us, he can do anything he wants, but what does he decide to do? He goes and he acquires a, a, a sinful one, as you, which is you and me, to be his wife, amen? Somebody who's foreign to him, somebody who's foreign to his nature. Jesus acquired us, and he acquired us, and he paid the ultimate price on the cross, so we can one day be with him in heaven, amen? 2 Corinthians 11.2, this is what Paul said, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a, a chaste virgin to Christ. And the Bible has that beautiful picture about Christ being the groom and us being the bride. Amen? Amen. But remember, we are foreigner to him. We are stranger to his holiness, to his nature, right? But just like as Boaz went and acquired a foreign lady when he had all the wealth and all the power that he doesn't need anything else, so did Jesus. Amen? Aren't you glad today that Jesus went and acquired you and me? Amen? Amen. Look at this. At the very end of time in Revelation, now everything is said and done and God is in control. Look at this. Revelation 21, 2-3. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a what? As a bride adorned for his husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle of God is with men, the dwelling of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Amen? amen. That one day, friends, amen? It's going to be like this amazing, beautiful wedding when the bride, you and me, will be prepared and adored for our groom who acquired us with his own blood on the cross. Amen? amen. And we will be with him for all eternity because he died on the cross because he's our kinsman redeemer who bought the field and he acquired us when he died on our behalf on the cross. Amen? 
I don't know about you. The, the thing that came to mind when I was reading that verse is this uh, verse in the song, It is well with my soul. It's just amazing. And here's what the singer said. He said, And Lord, is the day that the faith shall be sight. When, when we will be joined to Christ, He will be our groom and we will be His bride. Amen. Oh, would you please pray that with me today? Lord, haste that day when the faith shall be sight. The cloud be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Amen. Amen. But isn't that just remember, all of this was only made available because Jesus, our kinsman, redeemer, died on the cross and paid the price. If it wasn't for that, there's absolutely no hope for you and me. No heaven, no wedding, nothing. We're desperate apart from the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't we just close our eyes and pray? Remember that story when the kinsman redeemer kept saying, I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it. But Boaz said, I can redeem it. Amen. 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 And today, friends, I want to tell you that there is nothing going to redeem you before a holy and a righteous God except the blood of Jesus. I want to tell you, nobody is able to. Nobody has what it takes to redeem you, to redeem your sins before a holy and a righteous God, except the blood that Jesus has shed on the cross for your sins. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you know that you know that you have life because of Jesus, you know that He has already redeemed you, just give Him thanks. Amen?